Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. Okay, that's not exactly a warning shot. The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Coming up next, Squirrel. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Sir, Bill said, just got a text from friends of mine, Maggie and Dale. They um they have a place in Florida. They, they left yesterday. The note oh, says, okay. listening to you on the Internet driving through Alabama. <laughs> so it's just uh, my note back was, you got out of Dodge at just about the right time. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it's kind of like, so they're like, yeah, well, I said, they, they, they were at the house over the weekend. I said, when are we going to see you next? And Dale said, well, maybe March. Maggie So I think <laughs> I'm coming back for Christmas, I think. But it's like, okay, well, you guys just, you enjoy yourself yeah, and you can keep listening you. over the Internet. That is the wonderful thing. Thing. Hey, we have uh, you know we have an announcement here on the program. Do you know that, Eric? You know we we have a uh, some some big news. My producer grew who was on vacation for the last. Mm-hmm. This isn't a secret, is it? No, it won't no. be. Okay, it won't be in a couple Not minutes. Yeah, right. Well, I, well, I just I didn't know if there was somebody that you hadn't told or something, and I didn't necessarily want to irp it up over the radio, or at least I if I was going to irp it up over the radio and embarrass you, I just I I wanted to at least make sure I knew I was doing it. No, Gru got engaged. He was hey, gone over right. there, so we, Excellent. you know, he, he's making Mrs. Grew an, an honest woman after a number Very of years, nice. you know. So um, he joins the the crowd of those of us who, um, and, and I, I always say this um, in affairs of the heart, I have I have outkicked my coverage. There's no question about it, and I I would probably say the same thing about you, having met uh, Kaylee. Uh, that's accurate. Yeah, uh, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> <For> sure. <laughs> so, that's, so she said yes. That's great. Good, nice. Oh, yeah. Well, she was she was kind of in disbelief at first. She told me to shut up a couple times, but uh, it was it was yes. Well, yes. well, ex- 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 exactly. Yeah, because you know you guys have been seeing each other for so long. She was probably like, "What do you mean?" So you finally got around to, to doing this. Absolute congratulations. Yeah, yeah. We are we are thrilled about that. Thank so you. that's our our big news. That's our big news here. All right. Uh, one other just uh, housekeeping matter. Matter of fact, uh, this morning, and we've been running the ads for it. This morning, I was down at Pottawatomie uh, Hotel and Casino. I was the air quote celebrity bingo caller um a lot of matter a lot of people were down there including a lot of folks who were listeners who heard about it and came down got a chance to say a lot uh, hello this was um part of their annual heart of canal street charity program where they take proceeds from one game every session and they donate it to it, it will be going to various charitable causes this year um, our parent company, Good Karma Brands, and WTMJ, were raising money for uh, an outfit called Special Spaces. And I was there with a couple of ladies from Special Spaces. I, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 I've got a link to what this organization does. But what, what they do, it's the coolest thing. It's a local group that furnishes and redecorates bedrooms for children with cancer. I, I was listening to some of the stories. I mean, you would be amazed. You have some of these kids who have childhood cancer. And can you imagine 
I mean, just, you know, I mean, cancer, just such an insidious and such a terrible disease. And it's just just not fair that anybody gets it, much less children. And I was listening to some of these stories. I mean, some of the children who were diagnosed with this low income families, you know, bad situations. They, they were telling me about how oftentimes these kids don't have like bedrooms. They don't have places. They, they, they sleep on the couch and stuff like that. And I can't imagine a seven year old kid coming back from a session of chemotherapy and then, you know, being put on the couch. And so what this group does through the uh, generosity of number of different places and the generosity of individual donors is, is they go in and they they furnish and they they redo like the bedrooms for these, for these kids and, and really give them a a good environment to you know live in and to you know recover from their treatments from it's a wonderful cause and matter of fact like i say i have a link to the charity up on my twitter account if you follow me at jeff wagner 620 so thanks to all the folks um, who came out today and thanks for uh to the folks at uh potawatomi hotel and bingo the casino they did just a great job and it was just it was a pleasure to be down there if you follow me on twitter as well again at jeff wagner 620 we've got a number of uh, number of new tweets out there highlighting some of the things that we are going to be talking about, including links to various stories. So uh, later on in today's show, we're going to be talking about, yes, the Waffle House. I'm a huge fan of the Waffle House, and they're getting some national attention. There is a Waffle House story that's out there. The not-in-my-backyard folks are out in full force in New Berlin. We will discuss that. The mayor back in the news, another hit-and-run accident, etc. But let us ease into today's program because there is a story that's getting national attention that, again, raises this interesting issue to me about high school sports and, and where you draw the line. You may remember a couple weeks ago we did a story about a, a local a local football team from from the city conference who had actually qualified for the WIAA playoffs and had decided that, that they weren't going to they weren't going to participate because they would have been paired with some lar- against some larger suburban school that would have crushed them and you know and it's I mean I understand that miracles happen but I mean the coach was afraid his kids he had like 20 kids that played you know period so some of them are playing like both ways he he was afraid that the kids would not be competitive that they might got, get injured and he saw it nothing to be gained by going out and and getting whooped 65 to nothing so what the school did instead was that it it scheduled a an extra game against the team that it was going to be much more competitive about and we talked about whether that was quitting or whether that was a smart decision well here's the story it comes from long island new york two this is last week two undefeated high school teams one is the Plain Edge Red Devils, and one is the Southside Cyclones. Both teams were undefeated. Played the other night, and what happened is it turned into a, a rout. The Plain Edge Red Devils won by a score of 61-13. to 13. So, overwhelming win. At the end of the game, towards the middle to the end of the fourth quarter, they scored their final touchdown. So it was like 55 to 54 to 13. They scored another touchdown that made it 61 to 13. Why do I bring this up? Because after they scored that final touchdown, the head coach of the winning team was suspended. 
Now, why was the head coach of the winning team suspended? Was he suspended because he ran onto the field and cursed out anybody? No, no, no. Was he suspended because he took a knee and started to pray? No, no, no. It wasn't that. Apparently, this conference has a rule that says if a team wins by more than 42 points, the winning coach must appear before a special committee and explain why the margin could not be avoided. So because in this case they won by 48 points, coach is called into this special committee and he is told to justify why you won by 48 points instead of why you won by 42 points or or whatever. Um, the coach was apparently not able to satisfy this rule. They said, hey, the, the committee said, well, you could have pulled your starters earlier. And, you know, the, the fact that you didn't led to you running up this big score and the fact that it was like the second or third teamers that scored the last touchdown or not two, well, that, that doesn't matter. You are going to be suspended because the margin of victory was too great. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Does this seem reasonable and fair to you? Uh, no mercy rule. So it's not like they call off the game once one team gets ahead by 42 points or, or whatever. It's not like they have a policy of let's just run the clock. Let's let's not stop the clock after incomplete passes or out-of-bounds plays. No, we're not going to do that. Rather, what they say is we're going to continue to play the game, but if you score too many points, the coach is going to get suspended. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think about this? I have some very strong feelings we'll discuss in just a minute. Does this seem like a fair rule? They won by 48 points. Now the coach is in trouble, been suspended because the margin of victory was too much. If they had won by 42 points, it wouldn't have been an issue. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Jess in Fox Point. Hi, Jess. Hey there, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I was, I'm in support of the rule. Now, whether or not he should have been suspended, I'm not sure, but I really feel it boils down to sportsmanship, and it almost becomes a blemish on the community. I coach a lot of Little League baseball. Um, I've seen teams in the area during postseason play run up scores 40-something to, to two. You have to know your audience, and I think that what they put in place is, is fair, and the coach should have known his audience. He didn't keep, well, what are you supposed to tell the kid? I mean, let, let, what are you supposed to tell the kids? At the end of the game, he's got her sec- his second or third string, string kids in. What are you supposed yep. to say? Don't, don't score, just kneel down? No, I don't think you can. You don't have to kneel down and give up. You can still play. You can work on other things. I mean, look at it from but a don't score? perspective. Or you, if you can avoid scoring, don't <laughs> score. Run out of bounds. It's really it comes down to. Well, I guess isn't that even more insulting though? I mean, to me that to me that's like even almost even more insulting. Okay, you you've got this this team that you're playing against. The the second or third string kids are in. You tell them, well, okay, keep keep playing, but what? Just just fall down or go down or take a knee after you get five yards. I mean, I to me that that's almost like more rubbing it in. Well, I 
I don't I don't agree. I think I think he could have real he should have realized, I think he did probably realize his audience, which was the other team well before he was even putting in the second and third string. Yeah. Um where the score didn't have to get to a certain point. So I that's just my perspective. Okay, no, I appreciate it. Thanks for calling. I see I guess I I, I disagree. And, and and here's why. I first of all if if you want to avoid lopsided games, I have no problem put in a mercy rule. You know that that's what they have in little league baseball. You know, it's it, once you get X amount uh, after a certain point in time in the game, if one team is ahead by more than ten runs or whatever, you know they they call off the game. Okay, I, I the game is over. I have no problem with that. If you want to avoid this, you know, um, sometimes in basketball games or in football games, when a game is out of hand, what they do is they they just run the clock. You know, it's we're not going to stop the clock. I don't have a problem with that. I do have a problem, though, with these rules that say to a particular coach, all right, you you, you got to tell your kids they can't play and or that, that they can't play hard or that, you know, you, you, you got it. You can't score. Well, that, that's to me. Number one, it's insulting to your team. I mean, how do you tell like the third string kids or whatever that you, you, you can't play anymore? And again, I mean, th- this is these are competitive athletics. I mean, this is this is I mean, it's, it's high school type of football. To me, the problem is maybe the teams are mismatched. Put in a mercy rule if you want. Once you get ahead by 30, boom, we're, we're going to call the game. I don't have an issue with that. I just don't see that you can tell coaches that, you know, the, you, you've got to. You, you you can't score points because that then tells the kids you can't score points. And again, going back to my point, I, I think it would be just an incredibly insulting. Let's say you're playing basketball, not necessarily football, and you tell a team, well, you you just you can't score anymore because you're you're too far ahead. So what do they do? Just stand and pass the ball around? Why not just call the game? Let's talk to Joe on the east side. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hey Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I want to touch base on a couple of things I think a lot of people are forgetting about, uh, especially when it comes to suspending somebody. Number one, these kids put in so much time to perfect their skill and be very, very good at it. My son plays for a highly ranked team in the state, and I can't believe how much time he puts in. And when he goes to a game and he gets pulled out because they're blowing out the score, that game is very boring to him. Mm-hmm. And then what also that a lot of things people are forgetting is – there's schools, colleges out there looking at these teams to see what, you know what kind of players there, what's going on, right. and uh, that that score kind of goes into a ranking in a regional and a, and a national level. So when you take that away, that kind of brings that stuff back too. Um, and then last, sportsmanship, sportsmanship and competition is what we're doing this for. These kids, that's how we're we're trying to teach them to right. be adults. Is there's a win and a lose, and that's all there's to it. Well, well, right, and I mean, I'm trying to put myself, uh, first of all, I, you're talking to a guy that, you know, to the extent I was would ever be able to play high school sports, I would have been on that third or fourth team, okay? I, I was that guy at the end of the bench. So <laughs> so you get a blowout, you bring the guy like me in, you know, from the end of the bench, let's take a basketball example, and you say, well, okay, we're too far ahead, you know, don't shoot. What do you mean, don't shoot? You know, how can you tell me, right. how can you tell me not to compete? And if I was on the other side of that blowout, and I saw that the other team was just kind of going through the motions and not really trying. To me, that's more insulting than them than them trying and them scoring. I mean, I, I at least want the guys to play hard, and if they're better than us, they're better than us. Well, and then a little bit further, Jeff, is that mercy rule is in place already, and it's thirty-five points. So right. Let's just say the team gets ahead thirty-five points. Somehow the other team comes back and kicks a field goal. Well, now they shrunk that. So that thirty-five points. Yeah. 
triggers a, a, a continuous clock. So right. when they kick that field goal, that continuous clock stops and it gives them a chance to continue to come back. Right. So to me, that's as fair as it can be. Well, well right, exactly. And I understand, I mean, what's going to happen sometimes is mismatches. And that's just, that's kind of the nature of of the beast. And, and maybe that's an argument that, you know, one team shouldn't be in the same conference as the other team. You know, maybe sometimes you see that. You get one team that is just, for whatever reason, is just so dominant that it rolls over all yeah. the other teams. Well, maybe that's a conference issue that they need to be playing better teams or whatever. But I, I don't think it's the coach's fault. I just don't see how you can tell kids don't don't try when you go out there or, or don't well, score my bigger fear is it leads to hey everybody gets a trophy yeah no right it, exactly no no thanks to the call it's also it's also how people get hurt sometimes when you're not trying hard or whatever in any event i to me the solution to this and we're talking new jersey not wisconsin the, the solution to this is you just put in a mercy rule once you hit you know, one team is ahead. That's the magic number. One team's ahead by f- whatever the number is, 30 points, 40 points at whatever. And whenever they hit it, you know, maybe maybe you say, okay, we, we play a half. And, you know, after one half of the game, once one team gets ahead by 30 or whatever, if you decide you want to go that route, that the game is over. I don't have a problem with that. But I, I don't think we should be punishing people for scoring trying, running up the score, whatever. If they run it up too much, just end the darn game. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. All right. Is it fair to blame the president? Now, let's back into this story. There's no question that... President Trump is rewriting the, the rules of proprietary, propriety when it comes to you know his use of Twitter and his remarks and you know he has been accused of being incredibly divisive and that that is his style. I I I don't defend it. Matter of fact, I've, I've cringed about you know some of it. And I candidly, after the campaign, I I hoped that he would mellow a little bit during his years in office, and and that hasn't happened, which isn't to say necessarily that just because his style bothers me, I I disagree with his policies. Now, I disagree with some of them, but, you know, in general, I I think he's nailed a lot of policies, which isn't to say he's perfect. I disagree with, you know, the trade war that he started, although that seems to be working out okay. I disagree with the uh, withdrawal of the the troops that were supporting the Kurds, but, you know, time, time will tell but just because you disagree with someone's style doesn't mean that their policies are all bad and there's no question that president trump is divisive and that he is inflammatory in certain regards does that mean though that every time some kook acts out in an anti-social fashion it is the fault of the president which brings us to this story about what happened last weekend last friday night it is a horrible story 42-year-old man on the south side outside of a Mexican restaurant gets into an altercation with a 61-year-old guy. The man is Hispanic. The other guy, the attacker, is a 61-year-old white guy. Apparently, they get into an argument over a parking space, at which point in time the 61-year-old white guy just doesn't let it go. The other guy tries to walk away. They they get into an argument, and the 61-year-old white guy, apparently he's walking around carrying acid, 
which says something about the city of Milwaukee, that you've got people that are walking around carrying acid, and he throws the acid in the face of the other guy. This is an horrific attack. And along with throwing the acid in the man's face, apparently there are racial slurs that are that are thrown out and, you know, you know, go back to wherever you're from, et cetera, et cetera, that type of stuff. Now, the guy, it wouldn't be appropriate in any situation, but he apparently is, is a citizen as as well. Horrible, horrible attack. District attorney is looking at this now. They will clearly charge the man with assaulting the other guy with uh, the acid. They are considering also using, you know, hate crime legislation. Hate crime legislation is where you try to look not just at the, the act that somebody has done, but then you add on enhancers. You make the penalty worse if you can determine that the, the motive was, for example, racial hatred in this particular situation. Uh, okay, that, that, that's all well and good. And this is an horrific attack. And at the start of this, I want to say very clearly, 61-year-old guy, if he is found guilty, and it sure looks like he's guilty as you know what, deserves to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law and deserves to be incarcerated for a long period of time. Right? This is our conversation right now is going to have nothing to do with, you know, minimizing the significance of the attack at all. All right. It now turns out we're beginning to learn a bit of the background of the 61 year old man. His name is Clifton. Blackwell, all right? He apparently, according to his mother, and this is what's reported in the Journal Sentinel, he's been under the care of the Department of Veterans Affairs in Milwaukee for post-traumatic stress disorder stemming from earlier service in the Marine Corps. So the guy has psychiatric problems that he is receiving treatment for. This is not his first time at the the rodeo when it comes to antisocial involvement. A number of years ago, 2006, he ended up being uh, charged with pointing a firearm at people uh, and essentially like holding them hostage, prisoner at, at gunpoint um, in a farm field, you know, up up north. So um, ultimately, what happened is the prosecutors dropped the charges. He pled no one, no contest to one count of pointing a firearm and false imprisonment. Was sentenced to 379 days in jail. So you have a guy who who has a history of antisocial behavior and of of criminal acts. Who clearly has mental illness problems. All right, and he's getting treatment for him. Apparently, that that treatment is not working. He engages in a horrific attack. All right. And as part of the attack, he apparently is making, you know, again, racial slurs, et cetera, et cetera. Tom Barrett, the mayor, says on Monday that he was horrified by the attack. Everybody, I think, should be horrified by the attack. But then the mayor goes on to blame, in part, the attack by this clearly mentally disturbed guy on President Donald Trump's attitudes feeding anti-immigrant fervor. You don't begin a conversation with a racial slur and end it by throwing some acid in someone's face, Barrett said. And he's absolutely, completely correct. He goes on to say, this is not what happens in a just society. And by the way, he is completely correct there. But then he goes on to say, these attitudes are condoned at the highest levels of government. The anger towards people from other countries is being fed by our president and his followers. 
He said he's not drawing a direct causal link between any specific exhortations and the attack because he doesn't know exactly what was in the suspect's mind. But in general, you know, President Trump is creating this climate. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I think this is really dangerous footing to go down. Look, and I I understand that there's, you can appropriately say, the president engages in divisive rhetoric. I think you can say that there's a lot of really divisive rhetoric that comes on the left as well. But is it fair to tie an obviously mentally ill man with a history of antisocial behavior who acts out in a very, very antisocial fashion, is it fair to even imply that this attack was due in whole or in part to, I don't know, to the remarks of the president? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Seems to me you had an angry, mentally unstable guy wandering around the streets of Milwaukee with acid in his pocket. This guy was a time bomb waiting to go off. And and yes, in this particular case, he directed it at an Hispanic man. But, you know, my sense is it, it could have been it could have been someone else. It could have been you. It could have been me. Is it fair to say it President Trump inspired this particular attack? 414-799-1620. And in saying this, I tell you, I I oftentimes I wish the president would dial down some of the rhetoric that he engages in. I don't think it is constructive. That, however, is a far cry from saying he's committed the he's created the climate that leads to something like this. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. And, And by the way. As a number of people are pointing out on the text line, the mayor, his remarks didn't just attribute this to President Trump. He attributed this to people who are supporters of President Trump. The specific quotation is, this anger towards people from other countries is being fed by our president and by his followers, which might mean you. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. Uh, Jeff, of course uh, Trump isn't to blame. People accuse Trump of being divisive, yet that is exactly what the mayor has done by not just blaming President Trump, but all of his supporters. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Doug on the east side. Hi, Doug. Um, hi. I, I, I appreciate you taking the call. Sure. Um, I, I understand the point, and I... I, I agree with you that there's no direct correlation here, and it might be going a little bit too far, uh, what the mayor has, has said here. But on the other hand, I'm a, I'm a former military officer. I do think leadership matters. I do think attitudes and, and actions flow from mm-hmm. the person who's in a leadership position. And the discourse that we've seen uh, it does flow down, at least to some extent. Uh, and I think you, you've seen it from people who, you know, in our country right now, the way they act and the way they talk. Uh, I think it's become commonplace to talk in a manner that isn't civil and isn't appropriate, and it, it comes in part, and again, I stress in part, uh, from uh, uh, our current president who speaks that way. And particularly for those who are susceptible, uh, for example, someone who may, maybe has PTSD and is listening, and from the military, is listening to the commander-in-chief, which is the president of the United States, yes, a factor Unfortunately, and I hate to say it, and I don't want to lump all the people that follow Trump together or his ideology or your beliefs or Republican or Democrat, but it 
it it does strike me as a factor, yes. Well, I guess my question to you would be, we, we've had supercharged rhetoric for, for a long time. I mean, I, I remember when President Bush, second President Bush in the Iraq War, and, and I can remember a, a lot of the, the things that were said about him and were directed at people who, for example, supported him. Um, I, I guess my problem was, okay, just because there's supercharged rhetoric, is that the motivating factor that, that would require somebody or motivate somebody or give rise to somebody going out engaging in acts of violence? Isn't there a well, disconnect? Well, Pre- President Bush did not call other people human scum. He was the leader, President Bush. Was no, 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 but President Bush was called that. Yes, but that's from the below coming up. The problem is the leader is the one who sets the example. You're using it in the exact opposite. Yeah, no, exactly. But but the commander-in-chief is supposed to be the commander-in-chief and supposed to set an example and supposed to, you know... Look, I'm I'm with you, Doug, on on the whole idea of... I'm with you on the whole idea of of dialing down the rhetoric. Thanks for... I mean, I... I, I've been saying that for the longest time, and I, I say that to people on the left too. I mean, you, you listen to some of the stuff that comes out of the mouth of like the um, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. I mean, that that type of stuff. You listen to some of this stuff, and you go, you know, on both sides. I wish I would dial it down. I, I felt the same way again with the rhetoric that was directed. And that was the point I was trying to make against President Bush. Do I do I wish we had a more civil society? Yes. Do I wish President Trump would dial down the rhetoric? Yeah, I, I do. But at the same time i think you got to be really careful about saying okay just because you have somebody who's out there you know denouncing you know arguing about that the problems caused by illegal immigration or whatever that that is now the motivating factor and and that's something that motivates somebody who's obviously mentally ill to take acid and throw it in somebody's face 414-799-1620 let's talk to dan in kenosha dan you're on wtmj hey good afternoon yeah, what I do you think? You mention, well, I heard you mention that what you thought that what Mr. Barrett said is dangerous. I, I hope you would acknowledge that when you have the leader of the country of 320 million people, a fraction of which don't have their act together like this guy apparently didn't, it's dangerous to be saying things like send her back at your rallies and having your supporters, you know, uh, create chants that say send her back. Um, there's going to be a fraction of the people out there who are not stable and are likely to take some pretty ugly actions as a result of that kind of rhetoric. So, but does, um, okay, does, does that make the politician to blame? Because you got to be real. We have had quote unquote ugly rhetoric for a long time. I mean, you're talking about to, to a guy that, that grew up. I was well, well, during we, the we, Vietnam we, War. You've had ugly rhetoric for the longest time. We have not had presidents of the United States standing up in front of the people telling American citizens to go back to where they come from. That's new. I don't think we've had that before. Have we, Jeff? No, well, he, he's clearly more divisive in his rhetoric than others are. But that's not, if you're going to say that we, we haven't had ugly rhetoric directed at I political leaders. Okay. I so, so you think it's something unique because it's the president instead of because it's some, um, I, I don't know, um, liberal leader or something like that or a conservative leader? You, you think because it's a president it's different? Think- I didn't say that. I didn't. What I said is we've never had a president telling people who are citizens of the United States to go back where they've come from. Have we? Uh, we haven't. We haven't. No, okay, but but, let, so but, but let's but let's tie into what we're talking about. Do you think that that rhetoric is why this guy throws acid in somebody's face? 
I don't know that. Okay. Well, then do you think we should be saying that? No. As I said earlier, if 320 million people in this country, there's a good chance somebody who's unstable out of that 320 million is going to act on it. I don't know if this guy did or didn't, but the odds are someone will, and that's why the president needs to stop telling people to go back where they came from. Well, again, as, as, as we go back to the president, I keep saying this, I would love to see him dial down the rhetoric, but th- there's a huge step between, gee, you know, he, he has these rallies where people chant, lock her up or build that wall or whatever, and here, because he said that, that's why a guy throws acid in somebody else's face and, you know, throws out his, his you know, his racial slurs. I mean, that I, look, I don't know anything about this guy that, that committed the crime, but nobody else really does either. And to try to draw the link, and that's that's my only beef here, to try to say instead of just condemning the crime. And saying, okay, maybe this is why we need to be more aggressive in dealing with mental health, et cetera, et cetera. I, I'm all with that. Condemn the crime. This was a terrible, horrific crime. As I said earlier, the man deserves to be punished to the fullest extent of the law. It's when you've got to take that next step and say, well, well, that's the exact quotation. The anger towards people from other countries is being fed by our president and his followers. Who, who knows? You don't know if this guy's a Trump supporter. You don't know anything about the guy other than he's somebody with PTSD who's had anger issues going back for the last 12 or 15 years. And maybe maybe it is somebody who said, well, this is the, the president has you know encouraged me to be anti-immigrant. I assume this guy was anti-immigrant, and so I did this. I, and maybe that's true. Maybe it's true. But you know what? I don't know that. Tom Barrett doesn't know it. The cops don't know it. And I think to say it is a very, very unfortunate thing. I think it is political pandering on the worst level, because if you're going to do that, you can blame people for for pretty much anything. I, I, I've tried to always be fair on this program when I talk about the out-of-control crime in the city of Milwaukee. Could you say that, oh, that guy, those hit and runs that we have all going on now, they are because Mayor Barrett created an attitude, an environment of lawlessness when he told the police they couldn't chase five or six years ago? That would that'd be silly. It would be extremely unfair to do that to try to tie and draw those links but i think what the mayor did yesterday was unfair to draw the links and this comes from somebody who has been more than a little bit critical of president trump with his tweets and with some of more than just some of the rhetoric that he uses i'm just saying i don't think you can blame him for everything this is jeff wagner Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Eric Bilstead, what did you ask me during the break? I asked, what does it mean when you amend your testimony? Ah, like, um, for example, like Gordon uh, Sondland, yes. uh, the United States Ambassador to the European Union did. Mm-hmm. It means... Well, there's a number of reasons why you you could uh, do that. Most likely, it is because either you found error, having had an opportunity to review your transcript, your testimony, you found 
errors in it that either you had made or that uh, the court reporter whoever made okay. or um, that you're you're reading what you said and you're afraid you might get nailed for perjury and you want to go back. Yeah. No, well, that, no, that, that see, because here's the thing. Before you can charge somebody with perjury, you have to give them an opportunity to adjust and or correct okay. their testimony. That that's it's not like um, you, you have to give them a, a chance. Are you sure you said that? And so what would typically happen is, and, and I used to do this, you would get, for example, you get a like say somebody appeared in front of the grand jury or somebody gives a deposition. Um, you get the transcript of it, and and you have that person review the transcript, and they have an opportunity to go through and, and make corrections and adjustments to it because sometimes there's stuff in there. Maybe the court reporter got it wrong. You know, it may, you know, I, I didn't say not. You know, I, I or I meant to say. Well, sure, but sometimes sure, no, it happens. I I meant to say not, or I, I had a couple extra words there they didn't catch, or I, I must not have understood this question because mm-hmm. when I look at it, I see my answer is incomplete or incorrect or whatever. So it, it's not unusual to give somebody an opportunity to correct, adjust. You know, change it if if having reviewed their testimony, they find that there might be inaccuracies. See, I was curious because in this case, I mean, Gordon Sondland, we had heard, had said some things that were in conflict to what others had testified. Right. So I wondered if maybe there was a reason why he would have. Well, yeah, and and in in this case, from what I'm, I'm able to tell from the breaking news story about this, it's not... Like he was reading line 36 and saying, no, I, I put the word not in there or, you know, there, there's, you know, you're, you're mixing up two things. Sure. I mean, he, he added four new pages of sworn testimony. <laughs> I mean, so it was, wow. he added four new pages of sworn testimony and, um, apparently several major details right. beyond the account that he gave in the 10 hour interview. So that, that's, that's what the circumstance is. It's normally somebody offers testimony, and then when they've had a chance to um, analyze what they have said under oath, and they realize, huh, okay, there, there's something incorrect, and you you have a chance to correct sure. it. So that's the bottom yeah. line. But a lot of times when you do that, it's people um, who are concerned that their initial testimony might be perceived to be inaccurate. Um, or incomplete, and so you have the opportunity to kind of clear it up. We shall see then in this case. The we plot shall thickens. see. Well, it does. Perjury extremely difficult to prove. Just extremely difficult to prove. Um, I, I think in all the years I did that, I think I, I might have tried one perjury case. I think it just just one, just very very difficult to prove. So it's not if three people say one thing and you say something different, that's not enough per se. When it comes well, to probably not. I mean, no. I mean, because you, you have to prove again an intent to deceive okay. and things like that. It's it's a very difficult standard because you know a lot of times people will come in and they'll say I'm mistaken. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't intentionally lie. I just, I didn't remember this or whatever. I didn't understand your question, etc. Sure. It's very, very difficult to prove, especially in kind of a he said, she said sort of thing. Now, sometimes, you know, if you've got documentation that that clearly indicates otherwise, it becomes a little bit easier. But um, yeah, it, and and of course, he was the the guy that I, I think a lot of the news accounts were saying they, they thought it was a little bit. Little bit, they were a little bit skeptical of the mm-hmm. extent of his testimony. So, yeah. um, where this goes, who knows? But yes, four four new pages, and he has remembered some more stuff. All right, another week, another 
horrible hit and run involving children. We, we all know the story from two weeks ago. You have the 19-year-old community activist, as it turns out, blows through a red light, passes a number of cars, goes through, hits three kids, 10, 6, and 4, in the crosswalk, kills the 6- and 4-year-old, drives off, and then tries to, you know, conceal the, the fact that he was responsible, describes the death of these two children in his hit and run as being a quote-unquote rookie mistake. All right, well, on the heels of that and the appropriate outrage, we have another story. Um, Monday, about 4.30 in the afternoon, two children struck by a hit-and-run driver near Tetonia and Florist. The children, four and six years old, were in the street when they were struck by a vehicle traveling westbound on West Florist Avenue. After striking the children, after striking the children, the driver did not stop to render aid. The driver continued driving away. Children were taken to the hospital for treatment. Um, the younger child being treated for minor injuries. The older child was being treated for more serious injuries. Police are looking for a burgundy or a red Honda Civic or a cord with black wheels. All right, so, yeah, I mean, another just another day in the city of Milwaukee and another one of these hit-and-run accidents. Now, uh, appropriately, whenever this happens, everybody from the police department to the mayor to the local politicians to community activists to the community in general is appropriately appalled by this and we give lip service to the okay well we need you know we we need to crack down on reckless driving enough is enough And, and by the way it is i think we should have reached that point years ago i mean that these are high profile things but people running red lights throughout this area but particularly in the city of milwaukee that this is not an uncommon phenomena my guess is that you know you could if you know if you drive in the city at any length in time and i ask for a show of hands can you remember somebody like speeding and driving 35 or 40 or 50 miles an hour in a 25 mile an hour zone and passing on the right or blowing through stop signs or blowing through red lights you know have you had that happen to you and if you drive a lot my guess is your answer is probably yeah well it happens to me four or five times a, a a week Whenever we have these horrible situations, again, the community kind of comes together. We denounce this. We say enough is enough, and and I agree that it is. But at the same time, I, I question whether or not all we are really doing is giving lip service to that because at the end of the day, and as I mentioned this at the, the start of the program, at the end of the day, I'm not sure that we're really serious about cracking down on this type of behavior. Um, we've had in the city of Milwaukee, they've written almost half as many traffic tickets this time through September of this year as they did last year. So traffic enforcement, at least as manifested by writing tickets, is dramatically down. I mean, dramatically down. And that tells me that the police in general are not prioritizing this. Now, I get it. You drive through an intersection, you blow through a red light, and you hit and kill two, four, a four- and six-year-old kid. That's going to be a high-priority matter. But the point of this is that every time you drive through a red light, uh, you, you, you risk 
hitting and killing pedestrians that are in the street or hitting and killing people that are going through the intersection with the light. It is but there but for the grace of God that there hasn't been something that is more serious. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you cannot tell, I, I am I am as frustrated as this uh, at this as the mayor is, as the aldermen are, as undoubtedly as the police are, and undoubtedly as the citizens are. But unless we're going to just do more than say we're appalled by this, what we really need to do, and I'm, I'm all in favor of, again, the education campaigns and things like that, but unless and until we recognize that reckless driving is a life-threatening situation and that when somebody gets behind the wheel of a 4,000-pound vehicle and blows through a red light or drives 75 miles an hour in a 25-mile-an-hour zone or weaves in and out on the freeway, cutting people off and essentially almost contributing to collisions, unless and until we realize that that is, needs to be treated as a criminal offense and the people who do this need to be prosecuted and, yes, Maybe they need to be put in jail for a period of time, even if they haven't killed somebody. Unless and until we do that, we're not going to solve this problem. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's fine to say we're tired of this, and I think everybody is. But then the question becomes, all right, and now what? My answer would be incredibly aggressive law enforcement and incredibly aggressive prosecution. And if that means more people, not less, getting sent to the House of Correction, more people, not less, being put on GPS monitoring, more people, you know, not less, having their driving privileges suspended, and if they get caught driving when they're not allowed to, Yes, then going to jail. Are we really willing to do that? I am, but I'm not sure our elected officials, our prosecutors, and our judges are. Where are you on this? Is it time to say enough is enough? 414-799-1620, we discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Let's start off with a, a text from, from Taylor, who, who texts, Jeff, it's absolute lip service, especially from local politicians like aldermen and community activists. On many occasions, they'll say they need a larger police presence in the neighborhood to confront this type of reckless driving. And then, at the same time, they'll go on other radio stations and say that the neighborhood is being over-policed. You can't have it both ways. You've got to stop talking out of both sides of your mouth. Please, yeah, that that's kind of the situation that's there. And then you say, well, okay, we we want to we want to take a hundred thousand dollars from the police fund. We want to get rid of thirty to sixty cops. We want to stop writing traffic tickets. Okay, well, where does that end up getting you, Juan in Milwaukee? Juan, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi. Um, there's another part of this. A lot of the people in these incidents don't have driver's licenses. No driver's licenses, no plates and on never, cars, right. And never have. And uh, my brother used to say, you know, it was a shame when they eliminated driver's ed in schools because it's a, a life skill that's going to affect you the re- and everyone around you for the rest of your life. Well, 
Well, yeah, and, and of course, the, the frustrating thing about this is that we, we catch people driving without licenses or with suspended licenses or with revoked licenses, and generally speaking, all we do is we, we give them a ticket that they roll up and they tear up and they throw away, and they get behind the wheel of the car and they keep driving. I mean, how many how many times do you have to get caught driving without a license before we recognize that this is a big deal, and, and if you're going to keep doing it, you're going to have to go to jail. I agree, and, you know, it's kind of crazy because, you know, a lot of the the way kids are learning to drive is in games and not really on the road. Oh, yeah. Right. No, yeah. no, I'm I'm with you. No, th- th- no thanks for calling. But see, you, you raise an interesting point. We're not serious about this, and, and we're moving in the wrong direction. Approximately half as many tickets through September written this year as last year. That tells me this that there is a clear policy going on of let's 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 not stop people for driving without without the license plates. Let's look the other way when we catch people that you know don't have the driver's licenses or have them revoked or whatever. What we're we're never going to solve this problem unless we start making a big deal of this. But I don't think we have the political will to do it. I I just I don't, because if you really start cracking down on this and all right, this is the fourth time you've been caught driving without a license, we're going to prosecute you and you're going to do 60 days in the House of Correction. If, if that's the case, well, then you're going to say, OK, no, we're catching too many of this type of person or that type of person. And, and so, you know, th- this is wrong. And so we have to abandon this type of thing. I, I mean, right now, I mean, the politicians are trying to come up with every every different option and excuse they can have to avoid holding people accountable in meaningful ways. And I just, I, I, we talk about this, and yes, like I say, you hit and kill a four- and six-year-old kid when you've you know, run through an intersection, yes, you will be prosecuted. But what about the five or six times you did it before that and just, for, for the grace of God, missed the kid or missed the car? Shouldn't we treat that as a big deal as well? Randy in Milwaukee. Randy, you're in WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, how are you today? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Well, I'm 64 years old. I lived in Milwaukee my whole life. Uh, I'm retired right now on Social Security Disability, and so I don't I don't go out on the, on the roads anymore if I don't have to. I try to get everything done at once because they're all nuts out there. And like you said, I've seen this over and over and over again. Every day I do go out, there's not one time I go out that I don't see somebody just turning on a stop sign right into the oncoming traffic. They just, I've seen a car the other day on 91st and uh, Mill Road, and I, I got a police interceptor, you know, I said, I'll right. use the deck of car. Now, I don't know if there was something wrong, and he saw me oncoming. So I looked in my side view mirror, and he just went to the red light going about 80 miles an hour. You know, and yeah. my point is, there are going to be victims, there are going to be people that are going to get, you know, caught, and whatever the system does to them. But as far as it goes, they're, they're not going to stop. They're whether these people are driving around on PCP or on, on heroin, they just don't have they don't have it. It's, it's the younger generation. Well, or who just who don't? I mean, thanks to call. Like I don't want to go into this okay boomer type of thing, but but there is there 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 is I I think a, a, a lack of responsibility that that you see out there. And and you look 
what, what do they say? They estimate that the stolen cars, about half the people that are stealing cars nowadays are, are juveniles. And so that, that tells you again that you've got this mess. Okay, here I have a, have a text. On the topic of traffic tickets, Jeff, correlation does not equal causation. They're talking about my point that they've written almost half as many traffic tickets this year as last year. Okay, so the texture says, I think it could also be due to people violating traffic laws less. All right. Okay, I, 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 I'm sorry. I understand correlation doesn't equal causation, but does any? I, if you really think that there are, I don't know, maybe half as many traffic violations this year from last year, if you really believe that that's the case, that the roads have improved that dramatically, again, my advice is be sure to tuck your shoulder when you fall off the turnip truck so you don't hurt yourself. Now, I mean, clearly there is something going on, and I I think it manifests itself in, okay, we're not going to pull people over for the the license plates being out or the defective turn signals or, or whatever, and you can argue about whether that makes sense or not, but with all due respect, don't tell me that, oh, maybe the roads have gotten a lot better and a lot safer because I'm out on those roads. Most people are out on those roads, and they will tell you the exact opposite is the case. If we're going to get upset about this every time it happens, well, what we should do is we start to come up with concrete ideas beyond putting billboards up that say don't drive recklessly. I'm not against billboards that say don't drive recklessly, but when you catch people driving recklessly, when you catch people driving without licenses over and over and over again, Let's start putting them in jail. Is that too much to ask? This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I love that story. My producer gets engaged and makes his makes his grandmother. It's actually it's Kaylee's grandmother makes her carry like a knapsack full of like liquor uphill you know so he can do the promotion I, I i just no i don't need to hear anything more about it i i'm you're my hero absolutely it's just not like a big bottle of kessler or something it was some nice champagne and, uh, and again i had no idea uh-huh uh-huh <clears throat> grandma carrying the thing uphill that's okay works works for me great start all right Actually, Melissa just said to me, NIMBYs, what are NIMBYs? Not in my backyard, folks. All right, here, here is the deal. And I'm going to try to explain this, and then I want to get your reaction, because this is a huge issue in Waukesha County. And it's already a big deal. I was out at a Veterans Day event on Saturday in the uh, for the city of Waukesha, and, and this is something that lots of people are talking about and lots more people are going to be talking about in, in the very near future. Let, let me review the bidding. You will recall that for the last several years, the city of Waukesha has been trying to tap into Lake Michigan water because the, the wells that they have are drying up and there's problems with contamination and all these things. And if the city of Waukesha is going to continue to grow, it needs to have access to water. Um, it was a long, protracted battle. Ultimately, the city of Waukesha got permission, and there's not too many counties that um, – aren't directly adjacent to, for example, like like Lake Michigan in this particular case, who have the right to do it. City of Waukesha won the right to take water from Lake Michigan and bring it to Waukesha. Originally, they had cut a deal with Oak Creek. 
Then that changed. Now they've cut a deal with the city of Milwaukee. So Milwaukee is going to be providing water from Lake Michigan out to the city of Waukesha. And there's all these different stipulations about how the, the water is going to be returned and cleaned, etc. All right. A lot of people thought that once this happened, the battle was going to be over. As it turns out, it's it's only begun. And here's the story. To get the water from Lake Michigan through Milwaukee to Waukesha, you need to run pipes. And you need to have a pumping station to do that. All right, so in coordination with the DNR, the city of Waukesha looked at various sites. And the site they have settled on is an eight-and-a-half-acre site that's part of Manuka Park um, in, in New Berlin. This this Manuka Park, okay, is, is parkland that's owned by Waukesha County, okay? So it's Waukesha County owns it, but it's in New Berlin. 579 acres of parkland, of which 380 acres are located in New Berlin. The Waukesha Water Utility wants to purchase the site from the county in order to build the facility. Okay, follow me? All right. County of Waukesha is on board with this. The DNR is on board with this. The problem is, is that New Berlin, now New Berlin doesn't own the, the land. The land is owned by the, the county. New Berlin is not on board with this. And as a matter of fact, the, the mayor is starting to lead the charge against this. Now, the water utility says, look, we, we looked at six different sites. you got to have this pumping station. Th- this, was, this was the best one. It's, it's the most remote. It affects the fewest numbers of neighbors. There's only 11 residences within 1,000 feet of the property line. Um, we, we've done these tests. There's going to be you know, no, no effect on Manuka Park. There's not going to be any contaminated soils, et cetera, et cetera. No damage to the private wells. We've done the research. This is the best of these sites. Nevertheless, New Berlin is saying, well, no, we, we don't want to sign off on this. The mayor has sent a letter to the residents along with the common council president saying if we allow this pumping site to go in, it's going to harm the city's quality of life. It's going to cause years of disruption to residents and businesses, among other things. In other words, we don't want this pumping station in our backyard, to which Waukesha says, we, we got to get this, this somewhere, and we, we've done all our research, and we think that this is the best alternative. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The mayor and the head of the Common Council in New Berlin have vowed to you know, fight this. I'm looking at a letter that the mayor wrote to the citizen supposing this pumping station saying it's going to put New Berlin at financial risk. It's going to harm our quality of life. It's going to permanently impact our community. It's going to cause years of disruption to residents, business in our communities, etc. because you're going to have this construction. So they're trying to sell tell Waukesha, no, you can't put it in the site even though everybody seems to think that it is the best site that's going to create the least disruption. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, what is the city of Waukesha to do? They've been fighting for years to get water. That's fine. They've now got permission to draw the water from Lake Michigan. But 
You need to put a pumping station somewhere. So these concerns, is this simply, well, not in my backyard, or do the people of New Berlin have a valid point? Now you you got to find some other way to get that water out to Waukesha. 414-799-1620, we discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. And trust me, trust me, this is going to be a huge fight. And of all the different battles the city of Waukesha has fought, I, I'm pretty comfort, comfortable in saying I don't think they thought that the biggest battle might be with their immediate neighbor in New Berlin. All right, we discuss in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620. Helen in New Berlin. Hi, Helen. Hi. Um I used to be a Waukesha resident for, oh, close to 30 years. And um, now I am a New Berlin resident. The, the thing is, is, Jeff, how many times have places done major research on things and promise nothing's going to happen, and yet when they start getting into it, something always goes wrong and it's bad. So... I'm sorry, and and New Berlin does own part of that park. No, no, I don't think they own any of the park. I think, just to be accurate, the county owns the entire park. A chunk of it is located in New Berlin. And, okay, and, I and, right, yeah, the count, from my, what I understand, the county owns all the park, like, it's like 580 acres. Um, but what, what this deal would do is the county would sell the water utility X number of acres, and some of that, and that would be located in New Berlin, but it's the county that owns the land, okay. uh, to the extent that makes any difference, but it's the county owns the land. Um, but the thing is, is there are people that live there, and they are going to have to look at this humongous thing on their property, and that's going to lower their property um Ooh, I can't think of the word. Well, value. Well, I guess the question, though, Helen, value, is, yeah. I mean, the question is that the plant has to, um, uh, the, a pumping station has to go somewhere. And, and so, and what, what they say in the studies they've done is this is the one that is the most remote one. This is the one that, that will directly impact the fewest numbers of properties. I mean, it, at, at, I mean, at some point in time, or do we just say to Waukesha, you, you can't have the water? Because if they can't get the pumping station somewhere, then you're not going to be able to get the water. Do we just tell them, you know, forget it? Well, I don't know. That That's just it. And I, I wanted to go to that meeting last night, and I missed it. But yeah. I wanted to hear what they were talking about and stuff. But I don't know. You know, I am just very scared that it's going to cause more issues Mm-hmm. that they promised weren't going to happen, and yeah. I, I don't know. Okay, I, well, I appreciate I, it. I, I th- believe they, they deserve the water, yes, absolutely. Right. Now, thanks. I mean, see that and seeing that, but that that that's kind of, that that's sort of the issue that, that comes up because, you know, it is interesting because the city of Waukesha has been fighting for years, and I was an advocate for for their efforts to be able to tap into Lake Michigan water. And, and you know, this was something we talked about on multiple occasions. Um, originally, they cut a deal with Oak Creek and then and ultimately kind of turned their back on Oak Creek and went to, to Milwaukee, and then th- this all started to happen. But if Waukesha, the city of, is going to grow, they, they need to get this water that's out there. And I'm all about trying to grow the region. Now, look, I don't. I don't want to destroy property values in New Berlin. I, I mean, I, I don't. And I don't want to destroy quality of life that's out in New Berlin. 
But the truth of the matter is you, the, the, these pumping stations have to go somewhere. In this particular case, it's it's land that's owned by Waukesha County. Waukesha County feels it's appropriate. The DNR feels it's appropriate. Ultimately, the Public Service Commission is the one that, that gets the, the final say-so, I think, on this, you know, one way or, or the other. But at some point in time, you know, for the greater good of an area, you have to you have to allow for some degree of progress. I mean, don't you? Mark in Kenosha. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeff. Hi, Mark. You know, I am absolutely amazed at the greed and the selfishness of the people in New Berlin. I mean, it's not like you're going for something extravagant here or something that's not really necessary. This is for water. This is one of the most vital things you can have. Well, and, and, and right, we're, we're also not, you're, you're not, I'll let you finish your point, but yeah, we, we are also, we're not talking about, you know, strip mining, you know, or, or thing. We're, we're talking about a, a pumping facility and some pipeline, you know, that, that's really not going to affect the, the wells. Is it going to, you know, it's going to take about two years, they say, to, to build it. And, and will there be construction? Well, yeah, there's going to be construction and they're apparently going to landscape around it. And will it be an inconvenience for some of the people that live in the immediate area for a short period of time? Yeah, there, there will. But, but that's true. Gosh, anytime we drive anywhere on the roadways, we're inconvenienced, aren't we? Yeah, and now, of course, New Berlin, they've already got their water situation settled, so it's no big deal to them. But the people in Waukesha who are just looking for their, literally their neighbors to try and help them out by letting them put a pumping station there, it's not like this is for refuse because we have a couple pumping stations near where I'm at, and those are for for wastewater. It sounds like it would just be for a water source. I mean, at what point do you say, just grow up, just Get over it. It's for water. Help your neighbors out. What happened to, to caring about your, your fellow neighbor, in this case, the, the municipality next to you? Look out for them. Don't, don't be selfish. Come on. Well, that's, I mean, I guess that's sort of where I come down. I, I'm, I'm reading the, the letter from the mayor, et cetera, and here, here's the, and look, and I get this, this not in my backyard type of atmosphere, environment. And whenever I do topics like this, somebody says, well, Jeff, you know, would, would you like to have a giant pumping station built in your backyard? My answer is, is no, but I, I don't live in an area, I, I don't live across from, the, from a park like that. Here, I mean, here's what the letter says. The letter says, we will have to put up with two and a half years of construction. Yeah, it's probably true. Constant noise and hassle of commuting to work, school, etc. Well, okay, if you look at road projects around here, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, you look at how long that takes to get done, and that, that's the thing. Sometimes with progress comes noise and the hassle, commuting to work, etc. Uh, the letter goes on to say, this all directly affects our quality of life. Not to mention, there's no guarantee this will not affect our wells. Now, the DNR says that's not the case, um, but again, it seems to me that this is pretty much the, this is pretty much the extreme sort of situation, and I, my initial reaction to this is that the leaders in New Berlin are trying to create a controversy really where none exists. And this does scream, this does scream not in my backyard to me. And I, again, I, it, the county owns the land. So the county, I think, gets to do what it wants with it. The Public Service Commission has to sign off on this. And if they do, well, okay, New Berlin can try to fight it, but I think they're in the wrong. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. So glad to have you with us. This is an eclectic hour of the program. Melissa, before you leave, have you ever been to a Waffle House? 
I have been to a Waffle House. You have been to a Waffle House? I have been to a Waffle House. Okay, are you a fan of the Waffle House products? Strangely enough, I, I enjoyed it. Why did you say strangely enough? Groot, know. you know, you ever been to a Waffle House? Long time ago, but I loved it. Long I did, time? Yeah. Okay. I, there, there is a point to this. For those, Waffle House is, well, it's kind of legendary. It, it's, it's, a, it's a closely held Atlanta company. Um, these are diner, they're located in 25 states. They're not in Wisconsin. They're primarily in the South. Um, but it's going to get started in Atlanta. These are 24 hour budget diners. Um, they don't advertise. They, the menu just never changes. I mean, it, it's waffles, it's eggs, it's bacon, it's steak and eggs. I mean, it, it's 24-hour breakfast. They didn't take credit cards until 2006. I mean, it's it's just, it's kind of like a, a low-rent sort, sort of thing, And but it's like a budget diner. Um, but if you've been to a Waffle House, most people actually love them. Actually, my best friend's kid, they, we were in Canton, Ohio a couple years back, and I, right outside of the hotel we were staying in was, was a Waffle House. And I took him over to Waffle House, and he wanted to eat all the meals right. at the Waffle House because it's – and it, it's – you get an incredible cross-section of society that's there. They're all open 24 hours. As a matter of fact, um, FEMA – you know, the emergency ma- Federal Emergency uh-huh. Management Association, yeah. they use Waffle Houses, and this is true, as an informal way to measure how bad natural disasters are because Waffle Houses never close. Oh, that's interesting. And if the Waffle House closes, that tells you things are really, yeah, really bad. Something major going on if a Some, Waffle House closes. Something, yeah. right. So that tells you, my God, that hurricane must really be Ooh. bad because the Waffle House never closes. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, there is a point to this. There is a story the other day, I have it in my hands right now, in the Wall Street Journal. If you can manage a Waffle House, you can manage anything. And it, it's a lengthy story that talks about the operations of Waffle Houses and how well, the, the subhead is running a 24-hour budget diner isn't glamorous, but it forces, you know, the managers to, to operate with speed, stamina, and zero entitlement. And the purpose of the piece and what it goes on to talk about is how, you know, if, if you can survive the Waffle House in, environment, which is everybody's got to pitch in, everybody's got to, you know, work for the common good, the, the managers, hey, if if you're behind, well, okay, the, the manager, maybe the manager has to go in and start cooking. If the waitress doesn't show up or the waiter doesn't show up, well, maybe the, um, you know, maybe the the management um then the manager's got to go do that job. And, and it just talks about the success that these Waffle Houses have had. Now, not it's not to say that, you know, all of them, apparently there's almost 2,000 Waffle Houses across the country. They don't say that, okay, that means that all of them are, are great, but there is the, this standard, and the people who go in there love them. And I thought this would be kind of an interesting starting point because a lot of times when we talk about restaurants or things of the like, you talk about the, the high-end places, you know, the places where, oh, this was just this amazing steak that I went into. And I, I you know, I, I and, but the steak cost 40 or $50. And the truth is maybe for a special occasion, but that's out of the reach of, of a lot of people. I was thinking about, and again, you, if you live in Wisconsin, we don't have waffle houses here. But, you know, we we do have, or chances are, you've, you know, as you travel around, you run into some of these, like, chain restaurants and chain diners. And I thought, 
just for a little bit of fun on a you know cold getting colder you know afternoon. I, I thought we just spent a segment or so talking about chain restaurants and the ones that you really enjoy. Like I say, if I'm in a community where there's a Waffle House, I'm going to go. 414-799-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What's the chain diner, the chain restaurant? What's the one that, you know, if, if you were going to recommend one to everybody else, if there was going to be a can't-miss, gotta-go-there chain diner maybe it's a denny's i don't know it could be whatever but we're not talking about the high-end restaurants we're talking about again those chain restaurants that the masses would go to what's what's your favorite different community hey i my gosh there's a perkins i love perkins i'm going in there there's a country kitchen i love country kitchens what is it for you I got to say, for me, it's Waffle House. 414-799-1620. Gru is lining up the calls. We're back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Chain restaurants that you love and would actually go out of your way to go to. All right. If you're on the line, hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Couple texts. Jeff, Waffle Houses are like the George Webbs of here back in the 70s. Yeah, I think there's an element to that. Um, Mitch texts, hands down, it's Pizza Ranch. Great various pizzas, a solid salad bar, surprisingly complete chicken buffet. I have never been to Pizza Ranch, although I have friends who absolutely swear by it. They say the chicken at Pizza Ranch is as good as chicken, Good, uh, good the chicken there is as good as chicken you will find elsewhere. The thing is, they don't serve liquor. They don't, there's no beer and stuff, but uh, I, I know people that love Pizza Ranch. I've never been there. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Bill in Berlin. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Uh, hi, thanks for taking the call. Sure. A friend of mine was actually voted the best chef in the city of Milwaukee. And so we were, and I, I was surprised. He says, I love the Cracker Barrel. I just <laughs> love it. And I said, you got to be kidding. So we stopped in Ohio, and I, I got out of the car a little early, and I told all the girls behind the thing, I said, when he comes in the door, I say, Axel, how are you doing? Uh-huh. You know? So so he comes in the door, and all of them bust out, and they says, Hey, Axel, how are you? It's been a long time, you know, and he busted out laughing. But uh, he loved the Cracker Barrel, and, and really, their food is good. I've yeah. never had a bad meal. Yeah, no, right, exactly. I mean, right, in Cracker Barrel, again, it's one of those ubiquitous type of, of places, you know, all over the country, but people love it. Ed in Menominee Falls. Ed, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, good afternoon, Mr. Wagner. Hi, Ed. Mr. Wagner, uh, years ago, we used, to, we used to patronize the Stuckies. Uh-huh. Um, you don't see Stuckies anymore. I, I'm assuming they're out of business. But, uh, yeah, we used to go out of our way to, for Stuckies. Yeah, uh, right. You, you'd find them all over the interstate. I mean, Stuckies Everywhere. was huge back in the day. Yeah, and I, yeah, I, I think off the top of my, I, I don't, I don't remember. You know, it was interesting when I was a kid. We used to. My parents were from Maryland, and we used to drive back from Milwaukee to Maryland to visit my grandparents, my grandmom, and stuff. And um, I can remember Howard Johnson's. You know, we, there used to be Howard Johnson's. You know, all the Hojos all over the all over the road, and that that was the thing. That was the roadside tor- sort of stuff. And there was one. Uh, there was one in Oshkosh, I think, as I recall as well. But Howard Johnson's was the big thing that we would always stop at. Jeff Waffle House. Is is the best. Last year, we sold our house in Franklin, moved into an RV with our four kids, and traveled the South. We stopped at every Waffle House we could find. Well, 
that might be a little bit extreme, but I, I, I share your, your passion for this. All right. If you're looking for it again, that, that, that roadside diner, you know, the conventional chain sort of place, where's the best one? Let's talk to Steve in Green Bay. Hi, Steve. You're on WTMJ. Hey, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Hey, yeah, I, I saw the screener. We have two favorites. For breakfast, it has to be Cracker Barrel. In fact, at one time, we had a map in our glove compartment that had all the Cracker Barrels in it, and lunch has got to be uh, chicken and Popeyes. Okay. <laughs> I was going to see our daughter. They work so perfectly. The cracker Barrel in Milwaukee and uh, Popeyes about just past Chicago. So. Okay, so you guys plan this ahead, huh, as to oh, you know, where yeah. you're going to make the stops? Oh, yeah, we can't. I mean, we can't travel. If we travel in places and we don't stop at uh, Cracker Barrel, my wife's not a happy kid. <laughs> and, and as we all know, happy wife, happy life. 414-799-1620. Um, Shoney's Restaurant down south. Oh, I, I've been to the Shoney's. Um, Ross says uh, Stuckey's. They still have Stuckey's in Indiana and in Kentucky. All right, there you go. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Sue in Cedarburg. Sue, you're on WTMJ. One of our favorites is Culver's. A lot of texts say the the same thing. You know, Culver's, a a wide variety of of the menu and kind of a cut above, I I think, you know, your typical sort of fast food type of place. Well, if you want to go for a quick piece of fish on Friday night with all the Hogabaloo, yeah. you can go, and they have a great piece of fish. Yeah, I used to. I mean, and they have it every night, right? I think I used to get yes. that fish fry from time. Yeah, I think they 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 do a. I think they do a really good job with it. No breakfast, but but yeah, I mean they they do a great job and fresh ingredients. No, thanks, God. I I'm I am a huge Culver's fan. Debbie in Menominee Falls. Debbie, you're in WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Debbie. Hands down. Somebody else stole my thunder, but Pizza Ranch. Okay, tell me. I, I Everybody tells me Pizza Ranch is just great. I've never been to one. Well, we go to the one in the Dells, but there, I believe there's one in West Bend. Yes. But um, the one in the Dells, it's like eight or ten different pizzas you go. It's a buffet pizza. Right. And then there's chicken and people tell me some of my friends love their chicken they say it's like a roasted kind of chicken they say it's as good as chicken is that they've gotten anywhere it's great and there's a nice nice size salad bar and they have like a pizza dessert too (laughs) yeah okay Mm -hmm. all right so so, uh, no I'm, i'm right no they don't sell beer there right I don't believe so. No. Yeah, that, that was that was. It's actually because some some other friends were saying, "Well, we should go to Pizza Ranch," and then they all said, "Well, but they don't sell beer, so that's going to probably, you know, that Jeff won't want to go because they don't sell beer." And I said, "Oh, I can go some places without beer." Okay, yeah. Pizza Ranch. I, I got to check it out. I I first started seeing it because I, I think they were. I knew they built the one in West Bend on Highway 33, and then they put they started advertising heavily. I think on the Brewers games a, a while back. Pat in Grafton. Pat, you're on WTMJ. Mark, uh, the big boy. Man, I go out of my way. Big, boy. I got to go all the way up to Michigan now to get that stuff. I miss big boys. I, I just, I, I miss the Mark's big boys around here. I just, I, the big boy sandwiches I miss. Going there for breakfast. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Yeah, fantastic place. Yeah, it is. Thanks for calling. And of course, if you're a regular listener to this program, you know my fixation with. I keep wanting to buy one of those like giant life size big boys. I, I've I've had it. Matter of fact, if you follow me on Twitter, there's a picture. I was up at um, 
uh, the Hamburger Fest in Seymour, the home of the hamburger this summer. And they have like a six foot, five foot tall statue of a big boy. It's in pristine condition. I, I posed with it, took a couple pictures. I tried to buy it from them. And my wife was never so happy that, that people said, well, no, it's really not for sale. And I kept saying, oh. Let me make you an offer. And they kept saying, sir, it's it's not for sale. But, you know, that was it. A uh, number of people are texting in George Webb's getting a lot of things. Yeah, George George Webb's, I don't know. I, I'd say George Webb's and the Waffle House are kind of similar. George Webb's has a much more, as I recall, diverse sort of menu. I mean, Waffle House, you're, you're pretty much going there for a 24-hour breakfast. You can get steak and eggs and stuff. I'm not sure if they, I'm not even sure if they do burgers off the top, but, but they don't do a lot. Waffle House is, is, believe it or not, it's a budget version of George Webb's. But yes, George Webb's would be Waffle House. But I, I if you follow me on Twitter, again, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 It's a fascinating story, and I sent out a link to it. If you can manage a Waffle House, you can manage anything. And, again, it doesn't just talk about the restaurant, but it talks about – the, the type of attitude you need to do to run the restaurant, and it talks about you know what what you have to do to have the right stuff to manage this place, and it, they talk about it just being a great training ground for other things. And this conversation is making me hungry. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. There was a case argued in front of the United States Supreme Court yesterday. And it's one of these that I think it's kind of tough to predict how the court is going to decide. I want to I'm curious as to what you think. All right. Here, here's here's the law that you need to know the, the Fourth Amendment to the to the Constitution says that before you can essentially the way it's been interpreted is before a police officer can stop you if you're driving a car, before you can be pulled over, there has to be a reasonable suspicion. The officer must reasonably suspect that there is a violation. Now, a lot of times, there's more than just reasonable suspicion. A lot of times, there's probable cause. You see the car, you know, blow through the red light, etc. Well, that tells you that, you know, that that's probable cause that there's been a crime committed. Reasonable suspicion is a lower standard. Reasonably suspect that a viola- there's been a violation. If there is reasonable suspicion, you can pull somebody over and you can detain them while you investigate to determine this. Got it? All right, so here is the deal. A couple of years back, there's a guy driving a 1995 Chevrolet pickup truck. Police officer runs the plates. The plates come back registered to a guy named Charles Glover. And it turns out that Glover's license plate has either been licensed, driver's license has been suspended or revoked. The police officer doesn't know who's driving the car. He just says, okay, this is car that's gone past me. I run the plates. There's somebody that's in there driving. I don't know who it is, but the plates come back to, the car comes back to being owned by a guy named Charles Glover who doesn't have a valid driver's license. So based on that information alone, car is registered to somebody who doesn't have a valid license, the police officer pulls the car over, stops the car, gets out, and surprise follows surprise. It is, in fact, Charles Glover that's driving the car who doesn't have a license. So the police officer writes him up and gives him a ticket for driving without a license. Glover 
sues. He, he, he fights this. He says, look, you didn't have a basis to stop me. You didn't know. Yes, you, you knew that I didn't have a license. You knew that the car was registered to me, but you didn't have any information that it was me that was driving the car. Follow? You have you shouldn't be able to assume that just because the car is registered to me that I'm the one that's driving the car. It could have been my kid. I could have lent the car to somebody. This was not a basis to pull me over, at which point the state of Kansas says, wait a second. You know, this is here, here's common sense here. And apparently they cite these statistics that say that up to 75 percent of drivers with suspended licenses continue to drive. So they say, look, the officer this car, it is registered to somebody who does not have a valid license. It is reasonable, reasonable suspicion to think that the person that's driving it is, in fact, the person that doesn't have the license. And so they pull them over. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That's the case, in, in a nutshell, that was heard by the United States Supreme Court yesterday. Cops pull a guy over solely because the car comes back registered to him and he doesn't have a valid license. They don't know until they stop the car whether he was driving or not. They just know that the car is being driven and it comes back to somebody who doesn't have a valid license. Should that be enough to make the stop? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you where I come down on this. I'll tell you what I think the Supreme Court is going to do, but I am genuinely curious as to what you think. Should that be a basis alone to stop the car? Car comes back to somebody whose license has been suspended or revoked, and the car is being driven, but you don't know who the car is being driven by. 414-799-1620, what do you think? We discuss in a moment. Stick around. Jeff Wagner is right around the corner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. What should the court do? Brad in Brookfield. Brad, you're first. Good afternoon. Yeah, hey, thanks for taking my call. What do you think? Um, you know, I was listening to the argument that uh, was was posed, and I don't know if that's a, a logical argument or if their argument should be more of, well, what was the, uh, I guess, reasonable suspicion or probable cause to even run the plate in the first place? Well, you don't need that. I mean, that. I mean, you can, I mean, because the plate is publicly displayed. I mean, you, you, you can check out plates anytime you want. So I don't think you even need reasonable, reasonable suspicion to do that because no. that's not stopping the car. It's stopping the car that generates the, the issue. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Okay. No, thanks for going. So, right. I mean, you can, I, I mean, right. It's, it's, it, it's at the point where you make the, the detention, where you make the, the stop. That's where the Fourth Amendment starts to come in. I mean, police can police can be on the street and they can look around and they can notice things and they can make all sorts of observations. And if they see the light, the plate, they certainly have every right to run the plate. It's what they do with it afterwards. Did the police go too far in pulling over this car? And again, the only the only information they had was the car comes back to this guy named Glover. His license is suspended, so they say, "Okay, that's a basis. We should we we assume that he's driving the car. We we don't know. It could be his kid. It could be his next door neighbor. But you know, we're gonna we're gonna stop to investigate this." Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Allison in Kenosha. Hi, Allison. You're on WTMJ. Hi. What do you think? Okay, did the police go too far? Not at all. 
Not at all. I think that anybody that has a suspended driver's license and has a car registered to their name should be able to be pulled over if the license plate comes back that way. Because 95% of all people that have licenses suspended continue to drive. Yep. Yep. And it makes no sense. If How many drunk drivers get arrested and it's their fifth and tenth offense? Right. Right. And they now, haven't had a driver's license. Now, it could have been, it could have not been that guy. He could have lent his car to his neighbor. It, he could have lent this car to his kid. I mean, it, it, they didn't know for sure it was that guy that was driving. Then they had the right to pull him over to check. Right. Because what if it was that guy? Right. And, and, and it, it turned out it, it was. <laughs> and to your point, they, they argued statistically, I mean, I think you said 95%. They said statistically their evidence shows that three out of four times, just because you have your driver's license suspended, it doesn't stop you from driving, which candidly I, I kind of believe. I mean, how many times do we see people just driving time after time without their license? Right. I Got it. Okay. No, I th- th- got it. Thanks for the call. Um all right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Tim in Oconomowoc. Hi, Tim. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. My my take on this is in my younger years, um, I had um, some driving without a license issues. Right. And um, I believe you know this cop had every right to pull him over, um, just based on reasonable cause. I mean, mm-hmm. if if a cop sees somebody. Swerving on the road, that's a reasonable cause to drive them, you know, to pull right. them over. But just because but because he saw the plates and somebody, you know, you, that, I believe that falls under reasonable cause, even right. though I'm a person that got in a bit of trouble <laughs> with it as a younger person. Yeah, um, you know, in- interestingly, th- thanks, Scott. I have an interesting text here. Um, let's see, Jeff. I occasionally drive my son's truck. He does not have a valid license. I have been stopped on three occasions that I can recall for precisely that reasons. I I'm legal. I have a legal license, and it never went any further. If he lent the car to someone else, well, then the way I see it is no harm, no foul. Um, yes. Oh, Joe and Green, Johnny Green does this. How in the world did this case make it to the Supreme Court? Well, I, this, this is sort of an interesting First Amendment, you know, Fourth Amendment sort of issue about can you stop? I mean, is it reasonable suspicion just because the car, the vehicle, you know, plates come back to somebody who doesn't have a valid license? Jim in Elkhorn. Hi, Jim. You're in WTMJ. Hey, this uh, actually uh, just happened to my son recently. He was driving my car, and um, my license was suspended because I had surgery or something. And so the cop walks up and says, oh, you're not a 60-year-old man. <laughs> you're 26 years old. Right. So it's no different, but it's kind of argument on those stoplights that they're thinking about putting in, you know, the cameras on the stoplight. Right. Are you ticketing the car or are you ticketing the person? So right. it's kind of the same same thing here. You're actually running the plates on the vehicle right and then it's left up to the person to decide who was actually driving it at that time but it's not a big deal i think they had the right to do it it's, yeah I, you know, the cop kind of laughed it off it was no big deal my son laughed it off you know well, well right and and i guess and from the police officer's perspective he was just checking because Typically, and not all the time, but but I mean, typically, the person to whom the car is registered is going to be the person that's behind the wheel of the car. And you know, again, there, there's all sorts of exceptions to that. Now, thanks to call, I, you know, that's that's kind of where 
I come down as well, where the majority of you are. I think that um, they, I think that they should have the right to do this. And, and again, I, I appreciate that you're you're not talking about arresting somebody. You're talking about reasonable suspicion, which is a different. To me, it's a different standard. But I, I do buy this idea that the vast majority of the time. The person who's going to be driving the car is the person to whom the car is registered to. And I know, I know that's not all the time. I, I understand that there are, here, borrow, you can, you know, I'm lending you a car, etc. But most of the times, the person that's driving is going to be the person that, to whom the car is registered. At the same time, you know, people do drive on a regular basis without having their license, without having a valid license. So I think you put the two of those together, and I think, yeah, you, you run the plate. And, oh, my gosh, this plate is registered to somebody that doesn't have a valid valid license, boom, I'm going to stop for I'm going to stop them for the purpose of conducting this investigation, just for that limited purpose. And then, you know, again when you walk up and you see it's a twenty year old kid instead of a sixty year old man, okay, the end of it. You walk up and you see that it's a forty five year old lady instead of a sixty year old guy, it, it it's the end of it. But I, I do think that's a basis for at least the police officers making the inquiry. This this is going to be a case, and, and it's kind of interesting because the conservatives and liberals are all over the board on this one. I think, and you can go broke, as I frequently say, trying to predict what the Supreme Court is going to do. But I, I think this is one where they're going to ultimately uphold the stop. So bottom line is, if you're driving without a license um, and you're driving your car and they run your plates, you know, be warned because they, they might come back and they might be stopping you. Um, so that's it. All right. Before before we turn the show over to uh, John McCure, who's back from his brief vacation, there there is one other story that's kind of timely that I just I wanted to mention because it's something that you're going to start seeing playing out. And it's something that I was skeptical about a couple years ago, but I'm starting to come around in winter. One of the key things that you've got to do is you've got to try to keep the roadways open. And we can clear up the cost, Brew. Grew. Um, we, we need to clear, keep the roadways open. And how do we traditionally do that? Well, we do it with road salt, okay? Well, salt is expensive. Interesting, I'm looking at this story. Um, the cost of salt, which represents, for the Department of Transportation for Wisconsin, the cost of salt, road salt is about 40% of the state's winter maintenance budget. Okay, back in 2000, 20 years ago, it was $30 per ton. This year, it's almost $80 per ton. So it's gone up dramatically. The state of Wisconsin plans to spend close to $108 million of our money um, to restock state and local governments with about 1.42 million tons of road salt this winter. So in an effort to try to save money, let's be honest, this is save money, but also try to figure out maybe a better way of dealing with the problems of stuff on the road. One of the things, the newest idea that they're coming up with is more and more county road departments are using what they call brine. So instead of just going out and putting salt on, they they do brine, a liquid application. It's a mixture of salt and water. Um, Brine is cheaper because it uses less salt, but also 
it, it tends to work faster and is in general better for the environment. And, and it's also more efficient in a way because with the brine, since it's liquid, when they put it on the roadways, it goes on the roadways as opposed to if you've ever been behind a salt truck, you see the salt gets flying all over and a lot of the salt ends up by the side of the road or on the grass or whatever. Jefferson County cut its salt use in half Last winter said they saved more than $200,000 on reduced salt use and labor and equipment. This is one where the, the jury is still out, but brine is is increasing. Last year, Wisconsin used 9.4 million gallons of this compared to 4 million gallons three years ago. And so what what they're doing is, is, this, is this is the trend. When they first announced this, I was a little bit skeptical. It's like, okay, are we cheaping out? Is this not going to work as well? My experience over the last couple of years has been, y- you know what? It, it seems to be okay. The one problem with the brine is that for reasons that without going into the chemistry of it, it, it's a lot more corrosive for the undercarriages of cars. And so you, you don't really want to be following closely behind a truck that's spreading this stuff because the, the stuff, just, just the makeup of it, because it's liquid, it'll adhere to the bottom of your car and the undercarriage. So you have to be a little bit careful with that. But as far as effectively clearing the roads and stopping the prevention of ice and all, that this brine... All the at least initial stuff seems to say that it, it works if done properly and done in a timely fashion. It works as well as, and in many cases, better than the road salt. So this is kind of the wave of the future. I don't want to be one of these guys, you know, the, the hey kids, you know, get off my lawn guys that, that, you know, you're never willing to try new things. I admit when they started doing this a couple years ago, I was a little bit skeptical. Well, okay. More and more places are starting to do it. Yes, they save money, but they also say it does a better job on the roadways. I think the jury is still out, but at least I'm willing to give it a try. So this year, you're probably going to notice more and more of these solutions. I guess what we're going to, as opposed to just the heavy road salt, and what we're going to have to decide is whether it works as well, because the bottom line is it doesn't make any sense in salting the roads if it's not going to work. They say this brine combination works better. We'll see, but I think we got to give it a chance. And if this means that, you know, whenever there's a big snowfall and the TV stations run down to the city salt pile to get their camera shots, if it means there's few of those, fewer of those, well, then there's fewer of those. Okay, like I say, John McCure is back. When he comes in, we're going to find out what he's got on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around.